to turn in your Bible to our reading tonight. Um, it will come up on the screen as well, if you need to have that. It's Matthew's Gospel. And uh, this Gospel, the Gospel according to Matthew, contains probably the fullest and most systematic account of the birth and life and teaching, death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. Um, They reckon it's probably written between 50 and 70 AD. Probably not the earliest gospel. Mark's probably the earliest one. Probably not the earliest writing in the New Testament. They think Paul's letters, some of Paul's letters were earlier than that. And although Matthew is not named in the gospel, a long tradition from at least the second century has assigned it to Matthew, the tax collector, who met with Jesus and became an apostle. Matthew, if you read through his gospel, slants it um, toward a Jewish readership. Folk who are coming to faith out of Judaism. But he also makes it clear from the very beginning that the Messiah has come for all peoples. Yet the actual birth of Jesus is described by Matthew with kind of great economy. And we'll read it together in a moment. I mean, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod is about it. There's no stable, no shepherds with their flocks by night, just Bethlehem in Herod's time. But Matthew is clear that Jesus' birth is the most significant event of all human history. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, born in Bethlehem the ancient seat of King David, fulfilling that great Old Testament prophecy of Micah. So we're going to read um, these first 18 or so, uh, up to 23. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, In the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, from Micah, that prophecy. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. And even in just those early verses of Matthew's gospel, you see him referring again and again and again back to the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises. But what I just want to focus on tonight is the responses of three um, groups of people in this passage. Because Matthew also lets us know that the coming of Jesus provokes different responses. Kate asked me on our way in, how did Alpha go? Uh, We've got one more evening of Alpha. It's been a very small Alpha group, two little tables. Uh, But it's been similar to other Alphas. There have been some who are listening and they're not seeing anything. They can't see Jesus. Others get a little bit antagonistic. We had a little bit of a session this last week. Especially it was a talk on evil, which kind of provokes that kind of thing. Yet there are others who seem just ready-made, ready to receive. And there's been the joy of Helen and I praying for people who have said, well, and um, one of them said, it was actually week one. All the questions I had were answered. But it was only week six that I made the commitment to invite Jesus into my life. And there are different responses in this passage that we read. If you didn't know the story, I wonder who you would have thought that you had more in common with. A Jewish king, we see his response. He's reigning in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' birth. Then there's a group of religious leaders who were expecting the Messiah who knew the scriptures. And then there's a group of non-believing astrologers, magicians, from a very foreign culture and a foreign land. And we'll look briefly 
at these different responses to the news of the birth of Jesus the Messiah. The first response that we see in this passage comes from an unexpected place, from unexpected people. It's the response of the Magi. Sometimes called kings, they, they weren't kings, really. The Magi were probably astrologers, maybe magicians, maybe even sorcerers, because that's where the word uh, comes from, Magi. They were from the east, maybe from Persia or Babylonia. And everything in their background would have made them set apart from the Jewish faith, particularly. Maybe even enemies of the Jewish Messiah. Yet they come looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews. Why? Because they saw his star. Now, I, I wouldn't encourage people to do you know, do their horoscopes and things, but these people studied the stars. Astrologers they were. then, not astronomers, astrologers. They see a star and they knew, knew something significant was happening. There was no other important factor that, that may have had an influence, I don't know, because there, there was a witness in Babylonia centuries before to the coming of Jesus. And one of those witnesses was a guy called Daniel. Now Daniel was an amazing man of God and you can read his story in the Old Testament. Again, probably 530 BC. But if you read his story, he is put in charge over the Babylonian and Persian Magi during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was in exile. The people of God had turned away from God and God had exiled them. They'd been overrun by the Babylonians. And the king of the time of Babylonia, King Nebuchadnezzar, had a troubling dream, and none of his wise men or astrologers could interpret his dream. And it says that among these wise men were Daniel and his friends. And Daniel is the one who says, well, I can't interpret the dream, but my God will give me the interpretation of your dream. And as he interprets the king's dream, the king is so pleased that he places Daniel over all the wise men and astrologers and magicians and enchanters and diviners. That's what the Bible says. Daniel is in charge of them all. Along with his friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Daniel had a huge influence in his day. Then he falls out of favor, and then again he is rewarded when King Belshazzar names Daniel as the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And if you read his story, he's not universally loved, Daniel. There are others who are jealous of him, other wise men in that hierarchy who are jealous of him. And they persuade the king, Darius, to issue a decree that no one is to worship anyone else but him during a certain period of time. And Daniel just, he honors God. And he won't bow down to 
anything else than the true and living God, and he is pointed out. And although the king wants to save him, he is distressed by uh, the fact that these people have caught Daniel and, and tried to bring him down. The king cannot back down, and he has Daniel thrown into the lion's den. It's an amazing story. But this pagan king says to Daniel, may your God protect you and rescue you. And he does. And the mouths of the lions are shut. And so Daniel is saved. And the ones who accused Daniel were themselves thrown to the lions. And it says in the story, they were dead before they reached the floor. The lions were that hungry. And it's Daniel who prophesies about a coming king. He has visions and he says, There before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And Jesus likens himself to this prophecy of Daniel, Daniel 7. He prophesies a king who is given authority and glory and sovereign power and all nations and people of every language will worship him. And his dominion will be an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom will be one that is never be destroyed. Daniel prophesies that there will be this king. So there in the background of this Babylonian uh, culture is this witness to Jesus. We don't know whether it's taken through the generations We don't know what caused these wise men, magi, astrologers, to seek Jesus, but they do. And God speaks to them also in a language that they understood through a star, whether it be a supernova or the planets coming into alignment. Again, we're not sure. But something appeared that convinced them that something new was happening and that God was breaking in. So these two factors are there in the life of these Gentiles, these Magi who leave their country. Imagine that. They leave their country and go trekking. And it takes them a long time. They don't arrive in time for the birth of Jesus. They arrive later. And we don't know exactly when, but it's up to two years But when they find Jesus, something amazing happens. They worship him, the baby. Worship him. As king of kings. And with their own remarkable prophetic insight, they bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold is an obvious one. Gold is fit for a king, isn't it? Frankincense for a priest, for worship, and myrrh for one who was to die. Incredible prophetic insight. You wouldn't have expected these guys to be worshipping Jesus. But they do. The second response that is described is actually the response 
of King Herod himself. He was the incumbent king of the Jews. So when he hears the news that these wise men, Magi, have come to worship the king of the Jews, where is the king of the Jews? He responds in a slightly different way. He sees this news as a threat to his rule and to his reign because Herod was not born king of the Jews. He was not a proper heir to David's throne. He was a half Edomite, half Jew. He was a Roman appointee. He was a puppet king in a way. And he'd got there through scheming, double-crossing, even killing his way to kingship. And he was not going to let it go easily. He killed his wife. He killed his three sons. And now he hears there's another king in town. And he plans to kill this new king. Herod knew that this arrival of this new king called for swift and decisive action. Herod's lust for power blunted any of his better qualities, as it always does. People's lust for power blunts their better qualities. So we're told in this passage that he ordered the massacre of all the baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under, from when the star appeared to the Magi. But Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Egypt, another fulfillment of prophecy. The third response in this passage is one that you can easily miss. It's the response of the chief priests and the teachers of the law in Jerusalem, the religious leaders. They were descendants of Aaron, spiritual descendants of Ezra. They were stewards of the scriptures. In fact, they know the scriptures. When Herod asked them, well, where's the Messiah going to be born? They know exactly, ooh, ooh, me, me, it's Micah. They told the Herod where the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Just a matter of a few miles away from Jerusalem. They knew it was true. Yet they do nothing. Nothing. They should have joined the Magi on the pilgrimage, six miles to Bethlehem. They should have gone and they should have worshipped. They should have gone and praised that here was the long-expected Messiah. They didn't. They should have stood up against Herod's plans to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. But they didn't. They did nothing. And their apathy hardened into outright opposition to Jesus. We don't know if any of them were still there 30 years later or more. 
when they're the ones that have Jesus arrested, tried on trumped-up charges, and call for his death. Whether they were or not, they sowed the seeds for that next generation of religious leaders that would do exactly that. The coming of Jesus is the most amazing news the world has ever heard. That God became a human being to save us because we cannot save ourselves. C.S. Lewis said this. He was the author of all the Narnia books. If Christianity is not true, it's of no importance whatsoever. But if it is true, it's of infinite importance. But the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. If Jesus is truly God, the Son, in the flesh, born to save us, crucified for our sins, risen and returning, when then what response does he warrant? We see three responses. And I guess we'd all want to put ourselves with the Magi. And quite rightly so. And like Herod or the Jewish religious leaders, the Magi let the coming of Jesus transform their lives. Their lives are completely changed. They will never be the same again. He changes their thinking. He changes their worship. He disturbs their diaries and their priorities. And they worship him. They went on a journey of faith and discovered Jesus, their savior, their king, their priest. And that's the kind of responses that we would love to see people bring to Jesus. That's why we witness to our friends and our families. But from even the birth of Jesus, there were different responses, and there always will be, I guess. But God is out saving and bringing people to him. There's still one more week of Alpha, and we're praying, aren't we? Not that Alpha is the only way, but in 20 years of doing Alpha courses, we've seen people saved on every single course. In fact, I had the joy this morning of someone coming up to me and they were making their way out of the service this morning saying, I want to be baptized. I remember her on Alpha. And it was seemingly going, whew, whew. and then slowly, 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 slowly. She's come to that point when she wants to say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's absolutely brilliant. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together.
We want to pray for a response over these coming weeks to the gospel. Next week's nativity service, Lord, that there'll be those there who hear the good news and respond. And respond in faith. Respond in having their diaries changed and their attitudes changed and their lives may be disrupted because they've discovered that you are Lord. Let it be, Lord. Bless those little ones as they tell the story. May it come with that fresh power and anointing of your Holy Spirit. For our carol service here next Sunday night. We pray that all those who are visiting, and we know there are visitors coming. We've been told that already. I'm bringing my husband. I'm bringing my friend. May their hearts be strangely warmed by the amazing message that you came for them. We pray for those who are antagonistic. And we ask, Lord, that you would turn them around. But we also pray for ourselves that we won't ever become just apathetic. And Jesus, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. May we be amazed yet again at the truth of this story. So for all the, the witnessing and the activities of this coming week and up to Christmas, we pray blessing over them, Lord. And across this world, Lord, as your people will celebrate, We'll give thanks. We pray that your power will come. Your gospel will go forth in every place. We pray especially for Bethlehem. A town that is besieged, cut off in many ways. Where those who follow you have left in great numbers and there are only a few left but we pray that there'll be a witness in Bethlehem of your love and your grace and how that town hosted the most amazing thing that has ever happened on this planet that God became a human being we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we pray that the learned and the wise in Jerusalem, those Jews who still wait for a Messiah, will realize that you are the one they have been waiting for, Jesus. You came for them. And for this world, we pray. A world which you loved so much that you came to save. We pray blessing over this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.